Yesterday, we dived into how Samira got diagnosed with cancer. And today, we're going to explore the caregiver ecosystem through her brother, Raghav Daswani. So welcome to this session, Raghav. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Okash. How did you discover about uh, Samira's condition? Um, I got a phone call one morning uh, from, I'm, I don't fully remember, either my brother spoke to me first or Samira spoke to me first, either one of them. But it was either my brother first or Samir first exact order is a little hard to remember. But I just know both, both of them happened at the same time because it was on a call. My mom was in a different city. So I think they spoke to me first and then they spoke to my mom. And then I told my, my dad and then he came online and then we just spoke for what felt like a very long time. It was really only about 10, 15 minutes because um, Samir and Yuen did not know much about from the fact that there was cancer and that's all that they were sharing but uh, we wanted to know more and we and uh, it was just a very hazy but very life-changing moment. Yeah, Samira, do you remember anything about that? I, I do. Um, I was supposed to call Rakhaval and he's right that I called him before I called my mom or my dad. Um, when we called them, actually, we actually knew a lot. It's just, I don't think we were sharing a lot just because we had known for a few weeks. Like I, I had known even pre, pre-China, pre our trip to China. So I think that was almost like a lag factor, right? Like I got to know first, then my brother in the Bay Area got to know. And then we, then I, then I told Raghav and Rohan followed up. And then it kind of was like this like snowball effect where it started with me and then kind of went further and further and further out. Nothing quite prepares you to deliver this kind of news, right? No, they do not prepare you to deliver this kind of news. No, there was no one who told me how to deliver it. And there was definitely no coaching or resources. It's just, it's, up, it's kind of up to you. Do you want to tell us how the doctors told you? Yesterday, you told us about the phone call and uh, how did you communicate that with your parents and your brother? So I think Utkarsh, my story on this one will maybe be a little different than what a lot of other patients go through. So <laughs> I may want to caveat that a little bit because for good or bad, I, I am a bioengineer by training. I worked in oncology and I worked at Stanford. I went to school at Stanford. So I, I sort of knew both the language. I was familiar with the data. So when I got the call, I, I didn't have the devastating moment that a lot of patients have, if that makes any sense. Like for me, it was, hmm. it was definitely, it was a, a surprise, don't get me wrong. And I was not exactly happy about getting cancer, but I, I don't remember going through the, oh my God, my life has fallen apart moment. That happened for me later. It just didn't happen. Hmm. This. So with my oncologist, our relationship was very funny. Like my partner would watch us and he's like, I'm watching you guys discuss this. And it's as if you're talking about someone else. Hmm. 
so I, I had enough emotional distance during diagnosis that I, I was feeling okay, but I don't think that translated because my brother and my parents don't know about cancer data or, or kind of the, the um, meaning of what it means to get diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. So I think for me, I, I was not prepared to deliver that news and know the emotional impact it was going to have. So I, I was- you would have imagined, right? That it won't be pleasant. It won't be as very rational. In a way, the world changed for them. So Raghav, uh, I would imagine that you being sensitive and attached to your sister would have really changed your life. Do you want to walk us through what was going on? Yeah, I remember that morning. I remember everything post the phone call because um, at that time I was in a phase where I was trying to look after my own health. And I remember forcing myself and my dad to go on my run and his walk, uh, even though uh, that was like the last thing I really wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. And all that I could really think of was uh, that the only way that I can be a support to her was to first look after myself because um, the last thing I want to do is add, be a burden myself. Um, and that's how I convinced myself to just focus on my basic needs in terms of health so I can be in my best ability to be there for and almost immediately what I also realized was I didn't want to speak to her about it too much but I would channel it to my brother because he was there Um, Mm. because I just realized that that she would be put into a position where she would have to talk about this a lot and um, and someone needs a break from talking about the health and how they feel or being asked how how they are. Uh, and I just quickly understood that. So I put my brother on, on the spot and I told him that you need to be the point of contact. So anything that I need to know, I'm going to go to you and you better be on top of your game right now because um, you're the support there until... I can be there and my parents can be there. And I try to convey this to my parents as well. So my, my brother did a very good job to just be there in every way for her, even though we could not physically be there because there was a lot left, a lot left to happen. And mm-hmm. it took us and me especially a while to just wrap my head around what she said, what that meant. Because initially when you use the word cancer without the stage or even if some said the stage uh, I didn't know too much back then so the stage was not as relevant just the word came in so uh, the span of cancer can be pretty wide and uh, and even trying to it, it's almost like an internal battle with yourself, trying to not assume the worst, uh, hope, hope for the best, but also the human part of me still 
still um, had the worst in mind um, and just because I hadn't really thought about like the word death in relationship to my sister or my sibling yet and mm-hmm. that was the first time that relationship got highlighted um, and I spent quite some time just trying to process it uh, and read as much as I could. Reading was the way I could at least catch up with knowing more without um, bothering her too much and asking questions that that I could find answers to myself. Because she was being asked lots of questions by doctors, nurses, people, just like she she was filled with questions. And I didn't want to add to that. Yeah. So Samira clearly knew a bit about cancer and what other medical aspects of it. You did not. You dive into reading. It's the first time you're thinking about death and your sibling. Um, Did reading help? Reading helped a lot. Um, I found a book called The Emperor of All Maladies, um, which I think is probably the thickest book I have ever read. Um, Yeah. And I just... It was my goal from that point to a start of treatment to read the book uh, at least once. I've read it more than once and just understand as much as I could. Uh, just because, and this, got, and this came at the time, there are so many nuances that, that I didn't understand um, that reading helped me understand uh, from being a support to her in ways that would benefit her from the food side. Uh, I just didn't know enough about this. And uh, the, like, cancer can be pretty horrible. And once you're put into that boat, the only thing you can do is find out how to do it. Hmm. Or, or, or help the captain how to do it. And that's my ration side, but the emotional side was also fighting its own battle, uh, which I also learned to not display too much because uh, my emotions really matter. It um, the boat still has to go and move. So there's a question to both of you. Um, when one is going through fear, uncertainty, doubt, uh, it's very easy to imagine the worst and expect bad things to happen and expect, you know, anything to take place. So um, what was that like for you? Was it, uh, was it that it may be the last few days or years of my life or my sister's life? Or was it that we can fight this through, but we don't know how, maybe a bit of both, walk us through that. Sam, you want to go first? Oh, sure, I can go first. Um, yeah, it was a bit of, it was, um, it was almost in conflict more half of the time because the human fear side of me didn't know what to expect every time, um, she went through treatment and then a scan would come out to find, to see where, uh, she's at, um, I think it's a little strange because the 
I think it's a double-edged sword. The more you know, the more um, you realize that that the odds are in your favor, but then there's always a gray area. Uh, but the fear was always there, but it was a, a fight for me to keep that fear aside and try and work the moment because that that fear was just the part that that always held me back and put me in a place that wasn't helpful to me and wasn't help, helpful to anyone else but the fear of the worst was like a small like a small part side of me uh, but i also try to use like meditation and like positivity to shun that away because i also believe that the like the mental energy helps a lot um me and everyone else but it was a struggle hmm. samira so i think i went through probably something very different um when i got diagnosed i don't remember being scared that was a funny thing i i don't remember feeling terrified i remember feeling a lot of gratitude and i'll tell you why atkarsh because as a patient when you deliver news and it wasn't just to my family right i was having to tell work i was having to tell mentors i was having to tell friends like you you're constantly delivering this news and the response and it's not true for everyone but the vast majority response is love support with there for you what do you need so i i really i remember feeling incredibly loved during the diagnosis period i think for me fear has set in much later in it and i think the fear set in probably after treatment probably in the last year actually because in in my specific case the odds of surviving 5 years like knock on wood are the odds are in your favor right the the odds are only stage breast cancer you will survive 5 years if treatment went well so the odds are in my favor knock on wood but after 5 years you have no idea what's going to happen hmm. so i think for me the fear and uncertainty is probably more palpable today than it was when i got diagnosed because i think what happens is when you initially get diagnosed everyone rallies right everyone is there everyone like you're like everyone it's like a rally it's like everyone's there championing you on you keep going but the thing about cancer is it's no longer a one and done it really is a thing i'm going to be grappling with for the rest of my life and i don't think that necessarily is something that everybody understands so it's I was talking to another survivor yesterday actually and she she was like are are you a person with cancer or are you is cancer your whole self and I think for me it's very clear that I'm a person with cancer but it's still there right mm-hmm. you still have that part of you that that part doesn't really go away so I think for me the fear and uncertainty is far more prevalent today than it was say say 2 years ago um, it's also the data is much better when you get initially diagnosed and in the survivorship land the data is honestly not 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 there so mm-hmm. i am someone who reads every statistics analyzes everything i have my models and i i i like ground myself using data so in the absence of data i get very flustered 
what's your day in your life today and how has it changed versus say three years back when I came to see you in Silicon Valley? My day looks very different than it did three years ago. Um, a lot, a lot has changed. Um, I think if I'm being completely honest, pre-cancer, I, I didn't think about my body very much. I didn't think about my overall health very much. I uh, tend to be a fairly like driven person with lots of projects going on and I kind of focus on that. I think today, if you ask me, my number one priority is my health. No questions asked. Mm. Uh, I sleep pretty consistently. Um, I wake up in the morning and take, take our dogs out for a walk. We live very close to nature. So being having access to nature, incredibly privileged thing, but it's, it really does ground you in a different way. Um, I usually get done with work at 6 p.m. no matter what. I, I won't take phone calls after that. I won't take meetings after that. Um, I try and do something creative every day. Um, I think the biggest grounding practice for me over the last year has been I wake up and ask myself if I only had today, what would I do? Mm -hmm. Funny thing is it's always the small things, right? It's like, I'd go for a walk, I'd get a good cup of coffee, I'd call my mom, I'd talk to my brother. I, it's all the small things and I've done that now every day um, for over a year and, year and change maybe, so. What did you make a commitment to today? If hypothetically today was your last day? I would go for a walk on the beach with my dogs, which I've already done, so I am very happy. See? Today, I want to dive deep into the caregiver ecosystem. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. Give us a flavor of what it looks like, what it should be, what are the missing pieces. So maybe I can start, Mirav, if you want to jump in on that. Yeah. So I think on the caregiver ecosystem side, I think you kind of have two broad buckets of caregivers, right? You have your medical caregivers, i.e. your doctors and nurses, et cetera. So we're just going to ignore that group for a second. And we're going to focus on uh, the sort of family and friends caregiver side of it. Um, on that side of it, I think there are a couple of lenses because if I think about the lens of us being Indian and being having the privilege of growing up in the Indian family, I think the caregiver ecosystem probably looks very different for us than it does for um, a more Western culture. So maybe even the caregiver ecosystem, we can start with focusing on kind of where we come from, right? Which is we have families, we have cousins and lots of grandparents and th there's a lot of people around us kind of in this broader ecosystem. So I think for, for that context, I think on the caregiver side, there's probably one more lens to add in here, which is how old are you when you get diagnosed? And the reason I think that matters is most of cancer is associated with an older generation. It doesn't typically happen to what in the cancer world we call young adults or adolescents. It's, it's rarer, right? So most, most of your diagnoses happen after the age of 50. So they tend to happen to our parents, sadly, right? So I think the caregivers for a vast majority is us. It's the sandwich generation, right? Where your parent gets sick and you are the one helping coordinate 
sometimes care, you're going with them to appointments, you're supporting them on managing treatment, you're then sort of supporting, navigating the insurance and financial aspects of it. There's a lot of sort of practical things that need to happen. I think for caregiving, when it happens to a young adult or a child, I think is very different. Because at that point, I think something Rock have said, it comes back, right? Because you, you really haven't tied the mental model of mortality to a young person yet. So you sort of have this added emotional burden to navigate, which is this is happening somewhere where it should not be happening. The odds are that it should not happen in this person. So you're also grappling with this like almost like emotional dissonance, right? Um, which I think is a different layer there. But I can talk about it in the abstract, but I think Raghav can probably talk about it a little bit more from emotional lens. Yeah. Um... Starting from, so I've also read a lot, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to channel some of that in. Yes, um, when it happens to a parent or a grandparent, there reaches an age where, where factors of old age start entering your mind and how you think about them. And the moment that happens, mortality exists at some point in your thoughts. For the most part, I can't fully generalize, but the, the mortality aspect with Samira, for example, even though I had read a very good book that tells you, please think about mortality, uh, it didn't factor in um, until, and so for the longest time, the cancer word and everything to do with cancer had always been at a distance. Um, no people, friends or friends of friends who had it, or some of my parents' friends had it, some of my parents' friends, is, uh, someone passed away because of it. Like it, it, it had always been in passing. Uh, one of the hardest things to grapple with was that now I, like the word cancer and everything you do with it is with you now. Now, how are you going to go about it? Um, and that for me was, because it came as a surprise and a shock, uh, a shock to the extent that it wasn't even like, oh, I have a lump of mumbo, go check it out. It was like a phone call and this is what it is. So I think for other people, it there might be some precursor to it, but uh, when you stand up with, with being taken from a normal day to being thrown into a deep end of an ocean, like not me personally, but um, when I say me, I mean our family unit, uh, that was uh, harder to deal with. And I think throughout the journey, one of the hard things was also finding resources. Um, I remember the first few weeks spending a lot of time on, on the American Cancer Association page, that page for caregivers, trying to understand 
more um there's just no place to real to really go to uh, like sam had doctors to speak to uh i had the internet and books to go to um even with there are certain relationships in i think on the caregiver side that if they are not rational at a certain point you can't even go to that because um the emotion side is so strong and can be so strong is depending on the journey because um some journeys of cancer can be very intense and can be very um high strung and those get even harder uh i think the gratitude lies in the fact that the journey that that sam had to go through and we had to go through as a unit wasn't could have been so much worse uh just on just wrapping my head around those bad journeys itself makes a hair on my hands stand because the same thing that that i felt can be exponential when it's it and it's worse on all fronts so let's uh let's zoom out a bit and see that what could have been a more conducive situation for you to operate in tag so yeah. um who did you connect with did you have a community of caregivers to speak to on the page that you looked at or how did you deal with it beyond reading and trying to equip yourself with knowledge no there was no community it was i think our community essentially became our family unit um where my mom and i would take care of nutrition uh my mom would do most of the cooking um i would read up uh, about food and she would read up about food as well she found she um would find or speak to different people because she knew or she had friends who uh knew uh who had had some cancer journey themselves uh so she would find out um things from them or she should have some water or eat garlic and ginger or specific things uh and my dad would um do a bit of everything uh find out about treatment options or understand a little bit more about the drug um and um i would do a little bit like more on the food side but more on the emotional mental health side by not speaking too much or uh and my brother would add with would be the logistics and the insurance so we created um that ourselves and the fact that we had this there's a lot of gratitude in that because uh there are some people who may not even have partner who can go through this with them or even if you have one single partner there's so much to deal with that um you don't even know where to start yeah so having a place to go to would be invaluable there have been so many times um 
ever since 2020 where if i find out that someone either had cancer or know or knows of a friend or family who has cancer or or is a part of the cancer unit um the relationship you have with that person almost instantly changes because the i see the world always people who have seen cancer from afar and people who've been a part of a cancer journey either themselves or as a, as a caregiver to someone hmm. because then I, other people don't understand and it's not their fault it's just there's no reason for them to understand and cancer is not um, say a heart attack or malaria that comes and goes it stays uh it stays as an identity it stays as, as an actual illness um so there are many things to grapple with and that community can or could have helped me at least uh, or someone else just understand all of that understood so samira clearly it seems like uh, a much needed intervention is that the kind of network that you're hoping to build at Manta Care walk me through the vision and mission that's exactly right of course i think uh, raghav's story here is part of the inspiration behind us focusing on the caregivers hmm. because today there just isn't anything for the patients there really is i had support groups i could go to i had of course my oncologist and the nurses i can talk to so in a lot of ways i i got a lot of support right my family unit is like rallying around me so in a lot of ways i got it but rakov rakov didn't my mom didn't my dad didn't my rohan didn't my partner didn't that's five more lives that had directly gotten impacted so the goal with manta cares is really to provide them a community first it's to enable the future raghav to find someone else he can talk to beyond just browsing the internet to find someone who is going through something similar and he can share his wisdom with them and maybe help them navigate it a little bit easier so cancer is such a dark thing that making it just a little easier goes a long long way so our goal really is to help the caregivers make it just a little easier on themselves and the person they're caring for yeah and it's more than information and insight it's also emotional support and just like knowing that somebody else out there might be dealing with something similar so relatability makes a huge difference yes raghav i noticed that you talked yeah. about food mm-hmm. yeah is that something to do with your background or is that important in this space um how does that fit into the manta cares ecosystem I think um so my background is food and I love to cook and I dream about eating different things almost every day even though I can't um but um honestly at that point food wasn't really uh important to me personally because I I was in the state of okay we need to rally and um and just go through this so food for me at that point became something and I would add my mom into this because she um did a lot here uh we just understood that 
in cancer, general perception is you lose weight. And um, the only thing that really goes into your body is medicines, chemotherapy or whatever therapy you're on and food. Mm. And um, while we didn't have any control of the medicines or the therapy, uh, all we could do is make sure that the food she was eating was uh, uh, firstly enriching for her and medicine in, in ways that also tasted good. And my mom really uh, mastered the art of this because she figured out that uh, that at least a week from from chemo day to the weekend after the first three or four days were were days when eating became a little bit of a challenge. So she would be on her on on her toes, but after the second chemo, she understood what the general trend was um, in terms of what Samia would eat and she would change things to make easy uh, food for her that, that she would still enjoy. Um, and then post the days when she could eat other things or she would have the appetite to eat other things, that's when we, we would try and bring in let's say baseline food that is almost medicinal in the most delicious ways. Uh, and you tweak it in ways that she would like, like more lime or uh, no spice. Uh, and it's not easy. It's like, it's hard to figure that out. And like, thankfully we have her to judge and be like, I like this, I don't like this. So that makes it easier. But uh, it was just a way to make it a little bit more pleasant and inviting but also add in another layer of wellness that didn't have to be front of mind but it's definitely working in the background did that make any difference to you Samira was food intervention helpful uh, honestly it was the biggest thing so I can maybe add a bit more color to what Rakhav said at the beginning of this so in cancer treatment um you can go through many modalities of treatment. In some modalities of treatment, chemotherapy probably being one of the more important ones, your GI tract is basically eviscerated. It just gets eviscerated. I mean, you will see everything, right? Like your mouth, the lining of your mouth basically goes away, which means that everything tastes metallic. You get like, uh, sorry, it's gonna get gross guys. I'm, I apologize to anybody listening to this but you get uh, ulcers throughout your GI tract. And I'm not just saying in mouth, I am talking like in your throat, in your everything, right? It's one of the fairly common side effects of a lot of types of chemo. So what ends up happening is the doctors essentially tell you, look, we don't care how, what your weight is right now. We just need you to maintain it. And you can, by the way, gain a lot of weight on uh, treatment as well because the drugs are uh, then they can cause sort of water retention and things like that so they don't want you to lose weight and they don't want you to gain weight so mm -hmm. they want you to be in this kind of like fairly narrow band of plus or minus two pounds or like plus or minus a kg and to give you perspective between cycle to cycle I would lose I would lose and then regain 15 pounds 
I'm talking in the span of two and a half weeks. So the weight loss was like, I would get treatment on a Friday by like Wednesday next week, I'm down 15 pounds. The next Wednesday, I'm up 10 pounds. The next, so like by the time I go in for my next cycle, I need to be pretty close to what I was. So honestly, without my mom and Raghav, there is no way I could have handled that. No way. That, I mean, you don't have any energy. I was working full time. My body is changing so rapidly. I mean, one hour I can eat yogurt, the next hour yogurt is making me throw up. Like the same yogurt. So my mom being on her feet, Raghav's comment there is, is totally right. Because it wasn't just my mom had like figured out the patterns. She, she had figured out the entire, like the number of things that she needs to have available at home so that if all of a sudden I'm throwing up with yogurt, she can give me something else. So it food became a big, big thing in our house for a good, probably like a span of like six months because it really was the only true thing you have control over because you don't have control of the medication. You don't have control over your reaction to it. You, you do have control over what you eat, but then even as a patient, like the, I had no motivation to eat for many, many days. I had like zero motivation. So my mom would sit there being like, you have to eat this. So there's also the emotional battle, right? Because I can't tolerate it. I don't want to deal with it. I'm in pain. I don't, I just don't want to do it. My mom is sitting there going, you, you need to do this. Like, so there's, there's the physical aspect. There's the emotional aspect. There's the constancy, right? Because she's having to do a lot of it and then not just prepare it, but make sure I like ingest it. It became a whole thing, um, joint treatment. And then I can tell you that after treatment, and this is, I think, one of the biggest gaps in oncology today, there really isn't any support or resources today to tell me what I should be eating as a survivor. Mm-hmm. And like Raghav, I've resorted in every single nutrition book on cancer available out there. And I can tell you that the data is pretty bad. So my oncologist can't give me good information today. So one of the goals with Manta Cares is really to empower the caregiver on how to think about nutrition during treatment, and then also help them think about what are the things we can control going forward on the anti-cancer space, right? Like what are the things we can do on a daily basis that can maybe help us? Acknowledging that the science isn't very robust, it's it really, isn't great, but there is some early evidence of things that we can do differently on the nutrition side. So for us, it's also about taking that information and making sure people can access to it and that they at least as a minimum have access to good questions to ask their doctors as to whether they should not do certain things. So, Yeah, thank you for sharing. Let's uh, talk a bit about the mental health and the caregiver ecosystem. We obviously have a flavor of what's going on in your family unit, what's going on in your your own mind. But um, does mental envision to try and do something on the mental health front as well? Are there things that helped you develop a more uh, robust outlook to deal with this uh, catastrophic news at the time? So maybe I can start and then Rakhav, you can jump in. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a huge, huge believer in therapy. 
uh, and I've had a therapist actually for a very long time. So he was actually one of my first phone calls when I got diagnosed because I sort of knew when I got diagnosed that I think it's really difficult to talk about the emotional side with someone who's caring for you because they're already grappling with a lot. And the last thing I want to do is add more burden to them. And I do think the caregiver emotional experience and the patient emotional experience are very different. Because as a patient going through it, I do think you're grappling with uncertainty. I do think you're grappling with fear. You're grappling with, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's a funny mix of like, this thing can be a good thing for me. My life will change for the better. And at the same time, it's like, maybe I won't get life I envisioned. You're kind of grappling with these two very, very disjointed feelings and emotions kind of constantly. And a lot of caregiver, uh, sorry, a lot of patients actually do get depression and anxiety, right? So that, that's a fairly common um, thing that happens. So my therapist was one of my first phone calls. And uh, I, I sort of set up therapy every week for myself because I knew that I needed an outlet where I could talk about these things without adding burden to my family and have them be the outlet for it. I don't think my brother or my mom or my dad or Arco got access to any of that during active treatment. I do think it's different today and, and Rocco should, should talk about it if he's comfortable, but I think it's a huge space. So to answer your question on does Manta Carriers do that? I do envision we will, we will enter mental health. I think it's an inevitable thing. I don't think we can build a good community without being vulnerable. And I don't think we can build a good community without providing people with access resources. And therapy is just one flavor of it, right? Like mental health can mean so many different things, meditation, mindfulness, uh, community conversations can really help, right? So there's a whole bunch of things we can do on that side. And we, we absolutely plan on addressing it. Hmm. Roger, uh, I can... Yeah, I can share mine. Um, so at the time, I am also a big proponent of um, therapy in general. Uh, and at the time, I did not have a therapist, although I wouldn't have really minded one. Uh, but I I hadn't found a therapist at the time. Uh, so my mental health journey was um, very internal because it's very strange and... Uh, I didn't really want to talk about it with friends because I also knew that they wouldn't relate. So, and for me, it wasn't even like, for me, it's so personal. Even nowadays, for me, the cancer or uh, cancer in relation with Samir is not a conversation so if people ask me, if anyone who doesn't truly care asks me how Samir is, he just doesn't want to answer. Because it's not small talk. Um, and even with friends, I remember not speaking to them till much later, apart from very basic conversations, because I just knew that like, they would just not create it's it's not their fault but just uh, I thought it, it would be like worthless conversation the way I um, 
important to talk to my mental health was just to go back to what I knew about myself and what makes me uh, happy and all right right now. And it's always the simple things also. It's walking. It's working for a run. Uh, having some time to myself, uh, which became a hard later on, uh, because we, we were all holed up in, in the same house during the pandemic. So uh, the, there were like changes here and there, uh, which uh, we all have to deal with our own journeys at the, at the end of the day. And having support would have definitely, in hindsight, helped a lot. Um, but just the basics reading, writing, walking, and it changes from the small small things really helped me. And then later on, when I was more okay talking about it, and I did find a therapist a year later, uh, I, that helped a lot. Got it, got it. I just want to conclude today's uh, episode by asking both of you to reflect upon a quote by Confucius who said that a happy man or a healthy man wants many things. An unhealthy man uh, just wants one thing. I think he's spot on. I think for me that one thing is probably happiness. And health, I think, is a big part of happiness, but I think it's happiness more than health. Because I can tell you, Utkarsh, that um, I don't think a lot of patients will be able to say this, but I think there are a few patients who will tell you that cancer changed their life for the better. It just did. And I think it's easy for us to say that cancer is dark, it says a lot of suffering, and all that is true, but... I do think it's changed my life for the better and I am happier for it, which is a really funny thing to say, but it's, it's definitely true. So, Thank you for sharing. Raghav, do you have any reflections on Confucius today? Uh, initially, I thought health, but given uh, what Samira said, um, I think I would change happiness to uh, Mental, uh, mental health, um, because health, yes, like even people with the best of health can live pretty miserable lives versus someone who is in the worst of situations, worst of health situations can be or can find moments of joy and happiness and can, like their last few days are probably more valuable and happy than the best of days for the healthiest person. So I think there's a balance there. Uh, so I would go for that. There's a lot to say about this, but I, I'm with, I'm keeping myself like I'm, I'm holding on, on to my words here, but um, I, I will leave it here. Okay. The broader point is that it's so true. Before something life-changing happens, we're constantly distracting, changing, chasing goals, doing one thing or the other. 
and then something like this can change our perspective altogether which both of you have made me realize um thank you both for doing this thank you thank for you, Akash. This podcast, show notes, and newsletter is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or any materials linked from this blog is at the user's own risk. The content here is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.